Good afternoon. Welcome to Mad Hat Economics. I'm Jackie Stein. And today I'm here with a nice group of people. Um, as always, uh, Professor. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Today I'm here with, as always, Professor David Just. Hello. Saren. Hey. Jade. Hello. Liz. Hello. And Joy. Hi. And Joy and Jade are joining us today, two graduate students here in the Applied Economics Department. Thank you guys for, for joining and guest starring. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic that's been in the news, you know, haha, <laughs> been in the news, but it, it, a topical topic. It is the news. It <laughs> is the news, exactly. So um, we're going to talk about n fake news and something we like to call in behavioral economics confirmation bias. And David has a very interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. story. So, so a few years ago, I don't, I don't remember exactly when it was. Um, I know it was my wife's 20th high school reunion. Went to this reunion and we ran into somebody she had known for a long, long time. Very, very nice man, Jason Blair. Has anybody heard about Jason Blair? Liz is nodding her head. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been talking about yeah, him. Talking about him. <laughs> Jason Blair. Very, very good. So Jason Blair, if, if you don't know who this guy is, he, he used to work for the New York Times. And he was, he was considered sort of this rising star at New York Times. He'd been, you know, able to get these great stories that nobody else could get. And, and then suddenly it all started to fall apart. Um, they figured out that a lot of times he was getting stories with, uh, with you know, unnamed sources and they couldn't figure out if there really were any sources. So some of the stories seemed to be fabricated. Sometimes they would actually find people who he had claimed to talk to and they would say they never talked to him. Mm -hmm. Turned out that a large number of his stories had just been sort of made up. His life fell apart. He didn't continue to work for the Times. And like I said, by the time I met him, his life was back on track. He's a nice guy. But what, what it seemed to show is that if he could make up the stories in a way that sort of fit what the editors would believe already, then they wouldn't go and check. Right. And when they wouldn't go and check, they'd be willing to publish something in the newspaper of record that wasn't true. It was fake news, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> right? Alternative facts. Alternative I think it's the, it's the 26, uh, 2017 definition. <laughs> the idea behind confirmation bias is exactly this, is when, when, when we receive information that seems to say something that we already believe in, why check? It seems like it's true, but if we receive information that contradicts our beliefs, then we go and we scrutinize it to death mm -hmm. until we find good reason to reject it so that we really just look around and confirm everything we already believe in. We don't ever really evaluate new information honestly. That, of course, doesn't seem particularly rational and it probably has a whole bunch of really horrible implications. But right now, this is big news, right? Mm -hmm. In a lot of different ways. That's exactly right. Confirmation bias takes in so many different forms. So it, it can be brought to us by rejecting actual what is real news, what is real information, or even spinning new evidence to align with our own um, preconceived notions. And there's an interesting paper that talks about priming effects of, of confirmation bias. So evidence that you run into first, if that diverges from the second tier of evidence, you tend to believe the first tier. So there's a lot of that going on. And, and Jade was talking earlier about huh. applications into and, and kind of like where we can, we can think about um, confirmation bias and, and getting into fake news. Yeah. So I think, the, I think news is kind of like this buzzword that's really hard to 
be tangible or to actually confront um, by by the horns. So I'm kind of thinking maybe a hypothetical example yeah. where we're talking about something that's very simple to heart that people will buy Advil because they believe it works better than the generic brand. When chances are the generic brand and Advil were both manufactured in the same plant somewhere and somebody just printed a different label and put it on one box and the other one on the other. And so here, if we can imagine a Target, a Walmart, Kinney's Pharmacy, go local, Ithaca. Um, <laughs> And the, this is kind of like this this consortium of news. Well, we know where the Advil is. We're going to go and buy it anyways. We believe it works. We're not going to even look at the generic. And the generic might be might be this in this way, kind of the more reputable news source or just as good as what we see. So it's not necessarily the best analogy, but how can we get it so that people will go and look at the alternative mm-hmm. option? And even the alternative of the alternative, let's say it's the neti pot. It's an allergy season here. So we can even expand this further to other products that will help your headache. I guess, how do we... So is, if we're talking about priming or mm-hmm. placement here, is that is that what it is? That when you go and search on Google News, what's happening today, you get better sources at the top. And is that is that all that it needs to be right. um, to combat fake news? Or is your phone... There's also that, you know, we all get news on our phone now. So or most of us do. Not <laughs> yes. Maybe not all of us, but we do have that luxury. And, and so you can, you know, putting your settings to New York Times, CNN, Fox News, whatever that may be, could be kind of it'd be laborious to go back and change your settings to get a different perspective and 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 news is something that your trusted brand that you rely on so it's hard sometimes when you have these settings in your phone or like the the station that you tune into and that's your default and your focus is mainly on something else, your job, your school. Why put in the cognitive effort or even the, the physical effort of changing the default? To a certain extent, as you go through and you sort of edit your own Google feed, you're you're essentially going to wire yourself for, for confirmation bias, right? right. You're going to wire yourself for news stories that you tend to believe. And, and so you can have this argument, well, would it be a good idea to, to sort of put in other news at random that uh, that, that gives a different perspective. I, I guess I wonder to a certain extent, do we recognize when we're reading fake news that, that, that sort of leans our direction versus fake news that leans the other way? Right, because either way, are we just confirming our own preconceived notions of what is what we would like to think as reality. Yeah, I won't lie. The reason I have New York Times on my homepage is because uh, Miss Twos had it, and I thought she was sophisticated, and I wanted to be like her. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think plenty of us, we open up a, a, a book, and we read the first introduction, and we're like, I, I don't believe this argument. We put it down, and we find the, arg- we find the book that we, that we think is interesting rather than crossing lines. There was... Um, a study is read briefly by Charles Lord, and he does something about the death penalty, which is kind of more an ideological stance. But he asked people different evidence about like why to support it or not support it. And right. he asked people beforehand, what do you believe? I'm guessing you're familiar with the story. Yes. And people in the end, they just re- it just reconfirms like what you told me has not changed my mind. If ever, it's really made me support what I what I have. And he goes back, and so I think the second the second treatment or the second version of this, he says, well, why don't you just be objective as possible or be that bystander, be that judge in the room, and I'm going to show you this evidence again. And there was no change. But what he finds later in this third round, he says, well, what if I consider the alternative? What if I actually presented you a study that was not the one that I just presented you with? Would that have changed your perspective? And it seemed as though that was a good kind of question. So how can we, I guess here, how can I put this eloquently? have people consider the alternatives 
or and to be prompted to consider them when there is not Charles Lord in the room with you <laughs> telling you to. <laughs> I, to a certain extent, I wonder if if one of the keys is to to depolarize or de deanimate the arguments. When when the argument becomes confrontational and and emotional, I think people have a very easy time saying. This is not, you know, this is not information, um, and it's it's really just testimony, and and let me let me ignore this, mm-hmm. right? Or this person's cheerleading my side, and and I'll go ahead and listen to this. Where I think pushing out sort of the editorializing can sort of help in in providing some bit of credibility in some circumstances. Uh, that's that's part of what at least I've seen in in some of my own. Research is that that emotionalizing things really does generate this this sort of pushback and and resistance, if you will. What about tailoring stories to appeal to preconceived notions? So aligning it with the beliefs or the ide- ideologies, even of people. I was listening to another podcast, <laughs> and uh, there was um, someone talking about what do we do to get people who reject climate change or say they don't believe in it or don't believe in policies for it to to at least acknowledge that it exists. And she was saying, what I've brought it down to is say, oh, okay, touch on something that is relevant to them. Like my daughter has asthma as well. And I know that, you know, and, oh, yours has asthma too. Oh, and, and then now they're getting to what they, with the value uh, and then present, okay, well, here's a great you know, idea. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's decrease the air that, co- you know, that ag- aggravates asthma or things like that. So you kind of establish a rapport and then build up yeah. similarities before you suggest the alternatives? Um, it was a little bit of that, but a little bit of also allowing them to be in agreement from the get-go, like to be remain consistent with your values and also kind of planting the idea like in someone in else. Door. Yeah, exactly. So in other words, give, giving that choice, allowing some bit of attribution to work in their favor, right? So mm-hmm. them them feeling like they're the one who created the position. Exactly. Although I think with the, the asthma example, I can see that backfiring, especially for someone like me, if you indirectly are telling someone, and this might not be the mm-hmm. case, but you're indirectly telling someone, well, if you don't believe in climate change, then you don't care about fixing your daughter's asthma. And I think that's sort right. of personal, yeah. like when you get personal with someone, I can yeah. definitely see, yeah. But I, I do believe in conceding first and mm-hmm. understanding someone else's perspective and then offering a counter-argument as mm-hmm. objectively as possible. In more of a healthy, conversational way that doesn't ignite defensive mm-hmm. mechanisms. Into I was walking by this booth the other day. for They were raising money for kids with cancer, and I heard one of the workers talking to somebody who was passing by who apparently did not want to donate money, and the worker was saying, what, so you just... Do you just hate children, or do you do you love cancer? Which like one is it? <laughs> I was like, that is an aggressive way. <laughs> that's that's right. I, actually, there was a a column in the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago where there was, there was an economist writing about climate change, right? And he was saying something along the lines of, there's incontrovertible evidence of, you know, that men are affecting climate. A lot of the long range projections are based on these sort of computational models that uh, are not particularly reliable in in other circumstances. And so 
there's this debate about whether the policy instruments that have been pushed are, are good or not. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I understand this generated like one of the hugest firestorms ever. And, and you can sort of imagine how this might come about printing such an article in The New York Times where New York Times readership is going to be all on board with climate change and climate change policies that this guy's going to be labeled a climate change denier, despite the fact that his column is is arguing in favor of climate change, right? I mean, mm-hmm. th- that's an interesting way that that sort of confirmation bias can cause such a storm, right? Going back to this, this question about emotion, it's um, how how can emotion perhaps get people's, grab people's attention to what you want mm-hmm. them to read, but then also kind of skew and reconfirm things that they, we don't necessarily want them to. Fun fact, just looked it up. Um, only the U.S. and the New Zealand allowed the Ask Your Doctor if This Is Right For You commercials. Nowhere else in the world has these type of huh. emotional mm-hmm. attachments on Holy the media cow. or advertisements. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. maybe my maybe my theory, my, my example's not that great. <laughs> we're, we're the only ones who do it, huh? Well. Yeah. So... And it's interesting, you bring up the idea of, of the generic versus the, the name brand, mm-hmm. which is, is a, a interesting sort of case study in, in, uh, in how people deal with this sort of confirmation bias, right? Um, we did see in the last downturn, a lot of people switch to generics. They seem to be associated somewhat with facing financial stress. And, and when they face that financial stress, now suddenly they're willing to accept the idea, yeah, Maybe this is just as good. That makes me think of the the recent election that what we saw financial <laughs> everything. Maybe this is just as good. Right. I was like, well, yeah. yeah, you see financial stress. They're looking for to switch the switching behavior. You see political stress or stress, you know, conceived um, with the political institution at hand, and you see maybe switching behavior or just just whether it's voting, whereas you did it before, or not voting, whereas you did before, any kind of switching, switching parties, switching yeah. support, yeah, abandoning what is kind of ab- abandoning and looking for another... So switching doctrine, almost, Switching, right? I was, okay, yeah. that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking you as look well. look at it, the... the mm-hmm. um, switching specialists. I don't know if I want to call it mm-hmm. the Republican Party, but the, the, the candidate for the Republican Party is a complete 180 on, mm-hmm. on trade, relative to everything we've had before that in my lifetime, right? right? So I, I'm curious how much people are going to switch from 538 after the polling that was, because I think mm-hmm. that was the, the source of people's polls. It's what, There's that, Gallup, Real Clear Politics, which has the confidence, a lot of them, but um, I don't know, like switching, is it because you need someone to kind of give you completely the wrong answer, completely fail you <laughs> and your prediction to switch to the other I thought that was still side. within their confidence intervals though if you looked at the state polling you're correct yeah right and it and it's mm-hmm. it's just the probabilities that they were assigning to the weights yeah do you think like the people would switch to their like the um so it's about the flat world, yeah, flat world theory. If they don't trust, them, if they don't like, if they stop uh, trusting their education system, because then they would think that like what they learned when they were a child was wrong. Right. Like, That's a huge 180 from when we're talking about priming effects. Yeah, and, like the priming. And people but, taking what they. No pun intended. 180, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, 180, not a 360. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so I guess for my example here, we're just leaving Advil, we're leaving the generic, and we're just going on to leeches at this point. <laughs> Personally, I'm, I'm not down for the leeches. <laughs> You're not down for the leeches. I, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm wondering. I I might have been an extreme example, but I that that election night, as I said, it was jarring to me to see results that were so completely disjointed mm. from what I had no. come to believe from the press. And it's led me to change the way I consume news, mm-hmm. where I, I start a news story, and if I read it and I think, this is extremely biased mm-hmm. towards this news source's slant, I just stop there mm-hmm. and don't don't bother reading it. An interesting study would, would be to quantify exactly how many people are skeptical of mm-hmm. news as a result of that. Um, well, actually, I think the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg had large subscription increases right after the election. That's true. And I think it, in part maybe because yeah. it's fake news, in part because they want to support journalism. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but there has been a huge uptick in that. And actually, I don't know if this is New York Times' brilliant marketing campaign, but you can sponsor college students' subscriptions <laughs> as part of your donation to the New York Times. <laughs> to, to be honest, I think actually Trump drives a lot of that with attacks on the media. I, I think that... Any publicity is good publicity if you're trying to sell something, right? I think I think he's he's part of that push, but maybe part of it is also this drive back away from fake news. Mm-hmm. Though these are the news outlets that told us Trump couldn't win. This is um, <laughs> actually I'm not sure how related this is to our confirmation biased um, conversation, but there's really interesting. There was a report about how the French election that just happened yeah. um, with mm-hmm. Le Pen losing a lot of the emails of Mark Macron. Mark, I can't. Macron. Macron were released. However, the media treated them a lot different. In in France, it was kind of, it was, from what I was reading, it was saying that it was like kind of an insult. Like, why would you leak such information? How dare you? And like, who do you think you are? And supposedly they were very mundane, like what people are eating that night for dinner and that kind of relationship. But, and then we talk about Hillary Clinton's emails and it was completely like, Enough about her damn emails, I guess, <laughs> as Bernie Sanders would say, but um, and how it was kind of presented. So do you think maybe people are also now being a lot more skeptical? Do, what, do they take it seriously or not? I mean, it's or like how, how, we present, how we present the news. Like I remember people are saying, like, why do we still cover Donald Trump as golfing? That's not important anymore. So people are just being really critical of what yeah. news they want, or like what information they seek. Words, right? They're still drowning. Or they're being more critical of um, because there's so much out there now that can be kind of almost made fun of. Or because or, she hid her emails, they must be bad, and that's the confirmation bias the media spins. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not completely comparable because the, the the Clinton emails were also caught up in a she, she was using a server she wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to and yeah. so on and so forth. But they, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think there's there are completely different attitudes between the way they were going to treat Macron in the press over there and how Clinton was treated here. I think that's true. What I would like to ask, I know, Saren, you're from Turkey, so you guys had a vote recently. Uh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> so it, confirmation bias there, you know, speaking I was, about. I uh, was just thinking, like, so recently, actually, they banned Wikipedia in Turkey. So I was just thinking, like, thinking, like how it would, like, affect the increase in fake news, like, when you're looking, because I was, like, thinking, so if I was searching the news, even I'm in Turkey, I was, mm-hmm. like, I would probably use Wikipedia as, like, the most uh, trusting, trustful resource. But, like, now really? people can't reach out to Wikipedia and there are like a lot of people who doesn't really understand what's really as if it's fake news or not they're like mm-hmm. what is the real information is or not in around the Turkey so right it's for yeah I mean I was always taught not to trust Wikipedia though oh, really yeah I, I don't trust anything on, on there 
I mean, it, it depends on your point of reference, right? Yeah. Sure. yeah. I mean, if 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 your point of reference is propaganda from my you know my country's leaders versus things written on Wikipedia, it might yeah. actually be a yeah. <laughs> might be an improvement. Relatively Maybe not better. Be, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if there could be ever be like a news Wikipedia, like you know, like a news mm. article written by the masses, <laughs> just contribute <laughs> to, and it would just be purely information. Reddit, <laughs> Reddit, right? <laughs> yeah. Historically, though, it, it hasn't been a thing. Mm -hmm. we, we've come to rely on news and think about it as objective. Right. Of course, now it seems like our narrative of objective news is sort of falling apart to a certain extent, but. Historically, I don't think people really had that idea of news. When did we, I mean, <laughs> what built the trust and, and how does it erode? I think of Anchorman, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's how it eroded. Yeah. <laughs> I think the trust for news probably has, to some extent, there's probably spikes in terms of the, the current events of at least the United States. So like Vietnam, for example, the news was very pivotal in exposing people to like what was happening there and having people change, for example, their perceptions of why America was in Vietnam. Uh, Nixon's Watergate was probably another example of why people started getting trust in the news. And yeah, then yeah. also just, I guess, maybe like people just feel more involved to know what's going on because like September 11th maybe was a huge wake up call. I mean, I'm just thinking that there might be some current events that probably yeah. cause people to care about the news in some countries that I traveled to. And like when I've been in like, Haiti or Guinea, people really didn't care what was happening in American politics or the world politics, but also because that did not affect their lives and they had no stake whatsoever in it, nor did they really know about their news, particularly because of the poor infrastructure, but also they also didn't feel like they were at all having a stake in it. So perhaps there's a, there's just this cultural difference, too, with events and how does it erode? So did, <laughs> news fails you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, election also, night happens. Yeah. Lack of funding for mm -hmm. news corporations as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so to a certain extent, I wonder if there there wasn't a, a big role of large networks in in the U.S. I mean, where there were where there were traditionally only three networks broadcasting news right. nationwide t on television. I wonder if that really played a role in making it so we had this sort of idea of accepted canon of news that I don't know if it exists everywhere. Yeah, and I don't think I mean people do sit around the radio and they listen to it all day. In many countries, like that is that is a that is a cultural thing. But here, I don't think we have it anymore, and so people choose whatever they want to listen to. I mean, that's there's, I think there's a reason why Snapchat and mm -hmm. John Oliver and Trevor Noah are huge with millennials compared to older demographics. That's 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 the luxury of options. Sometimes you get <laughs> many. <laughs> it's more entertaining than Lester Holt, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh wolf. <laughs> 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 so on to like posing a next question. Jade and I were discussing this earlier, but how do you you what are some tools we can use in behavioral economics to kind of galvanize people to thinking about truthfulness and ob objectivity and valuing seeking that out in in their news again. So the placement we talked about. There's different things. So you, whether you place the the Advil or the generic in a more visually uh, accessible way on the shelf. Mm -hmm. But there's also that issue of when you have brand, you're loyal to a certain brand instead of, you know, your um, 
visual senses being, you know, um, activated by the sensory objects around you, such as the different bottles and packaging, you may have more of a directed aim at your search. So you're, you're not, you don't care what is around the Advil. You're, you just are looking for Advil and everything else is kind of a blur. You're ignoring that. And then when you find the Advil, you put it in your basket and you move on. So, um, if you have a direction to your search, such as with, I'm, I'm going to look at New York times today, I'm going to my, to Google that, or I'm going to switch the channel to Fox news and kind of skip all of the other things that might have, you know, actually nudged us or, you know, influenced us to maybe pick a different option. It becomes a little bit more complicated than simply, you know, other marketing initiatives. So talking about the social norms idea about like the bundling perhaps of would if the New York Times, Wall Street Journal and USA Today and these, I mean, they definitely have their own ideological spins, whatever, but they're, they probably, I would say, have enough credibility in terms of their sources that they're presenting information that is probably if you boil them all together would be true if they said the social norm of like of like all of these packages together will tell you that we are better than this one package in particular i don't know like <laughs> yeah some type of there's that idea so. but then there's like also as david pointed out um they they cite each other as, as sources <laughs> and I, and so there's that problem person. there and right. and new news is constantly coming out but an interesting thing to look at would be the opinion section of these articles and what is kind of you know mm-hmm. that is there a lot of confirmation bias going on there and are you know are different sides of the coin being represented I just search for that news on Twitter mm-hmm. just to see like the anonymous comments and like because I mean I would say like people would more comment on Twitter rather than just like opinions um, sections of yeah. the news page Twitter always has accurate news too <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people also they just even be able to see a lot of yeah. How do you move people from Occupy Democrats and Braybart to <laughs> Politico, The Hill, anything else really, CBS and, you know, whatever acronym, MSNBC, any of those? Mar- marginal improvements. Yeah, how, yeah. Do we, how do we make that marginal I, jump, like, over? I don't think you ever get everybody there. But the way I like to think about this is something like, you know, when you receive a fishy email, right? So, it, you know, somebody who's trying, you know, actual phishing scam and they're trying to, to get your information. You have a long lost uncle in some country far away. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, it's there a are telltale signs as you start to read. And, and if you are alert to it, you're going to immediately say, this is a fake email. And, and you delete it and you move on. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think to a certain extent, having people aware that this is out there and, and you know, there, there are two types of, of news we've got to be aware of. There's there's the stuff that is being manufactured and that is explicitly wrong and they're coming up with it just to get your eyeballs for advertising. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's stuff where it just wasn't very well researched. Right. And and they didn't quite print the right thing. And hopefully that story gets corrected in the next couple of days. I, I think the first one is really easy to spot usually because it's just too good to be true stories. Mm-hmm. Right. The second type. Eh, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. Right. So are we, so here we're talking about correcting how people consume news, mm-hmm. but there's also how to correct the producers of news. Mm-hmm. So I think for the second type, I think. 
there's a lot more to, I think there's a lot to be done on the producer side. So like even places like the New York Times, like if, you know, if they're not checking their sources, like there should be some sort of econo- like a economic loss from that. And I think right now maybe there's not enough. So people are willing to take, you yeah. know, people are incentivized to sort of just push out great stories that are not necessarily well-researched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as you know, as we're talking about Jason Blair, I believe when mm-hmm. he got fired, they also fired their, their editor-in-chief. So they faced some sort of economic, but it this took is, a really big event. This reminds me of the, the Rolling Stones <laughs> yeah. article that happened a few years ago, right, uh, where yeah. it's like, uh, of co- I mean... And that has repercussions all around, but the, do you guys know about that story? Right. Can, can you just refresh yeah, sure. it in case? Why not? Um, so there was a girl, and she, she accused a frat of um, raping her, uh-huh. and she, she was interviewed by Rolling Stone, and there she was talking about her, what happened to her and who she talked to. And because of, I think, the type of nature of the incident, Rolling Stones did not feel comfortable having to talk to the other side or they just didn't feel like it would it would be appropriate. And eventually, I think it was cited by the Columbia University School of Journalism as like the worst news article of the year in terms yeah. of uh, fake news. That caused a lot of issues, both um, in terms of the reputation of UVA, the reputation of the mm. frats, then also the reputation of rape victims who come up to talk right. about what happened to them yeah. and how they're not as... Uh, believed in now yeah i mean (laughs) exactly because you run with the sensational story that you didn't check and now it makes it look like that happens a lot more often i was thinking like so there was a research about trust index in the countries and how it actually changed so i was like i knew it because like i saw that like turkey has one of the lowest indexes so that Mm -hmm. it it basically measures like how people how much people trust uh, people around them so now i'm thinking if like maybe lower trust indexes would make you more skeptical about the news so actually it would be better for you to like detect fake news in the end so i was just thinking also how it would how it had changed after the election for you for the people in u.s actually like trust index in general either way it ended up in more subscriptions so that they want to see maybe you know well maybe they you know that it's there's a good narrative there that maybe they want to have more access so they can say oh wow this is fake news and point it out and look and, and critique it and or and increasing you know subscriptions will just give you more variety of your news and maybe trying something different like okay i haven't used new york times before but this seems to be a trusted news source so let's see what you know what they have to say and how can i compare that to what i'm reading or listening to no, that's a great question that you've posed. I think, yeah. um, but but, I but like also, if you when I mm-hmm. like um, like the decrease the trust index of people like um, consciously, I don't know if like a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested. Coming from outside the U.S., what news sources do you use, mm. or do you use any about U.S. in particular? For, in, for U.S., so I have Fox News, actually. I generally like, follow it. So, so I have those like notifications which came to yes. my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So surprisingly, actually, I learned about a, a bomb explosion in Turkey from the Fox News before I heard it from the Turkish News, which was... <laughs> I, I was with you, I didn't know if you remember, yeah. which okay. was like, quite like, freaking, actually. But yeah, I know. Um, and for knowing uh, U.S., I use Fox News, but... I mean, I, of course, like also follow New York Times and Wall Street Journal... Financial Times for Financial News, like, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. That makes sense. 
Maybe like some of those uh, kind of like New York Times, Wall Street Journal or those can promote like how to be, how to be skeptical about the news in general. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, so they could also promote their like, confidentiality and somehow. Mm-hmm. There's also certain groups of people that subscribe to Wall Street Journal. Not everyone, you know, goes it's, to Wall Street Journal to see all the graphs and it can look kind of scary. So there's a certain, it, there's a sele- certain selection ty- type of person that mm-hmm. is reading that and may or may not be more skeptical than the average. So uh, wrapping up some different thoughts about <laughs> <laughs> confirmation bias and how we, and how we have news is a player in that in our, in our lives. David, do you have anything that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, no, I, I, to me, I, I think the whole story of confirmation bias tells us we need to we need to be willing to read mm-hmm. things that make us a little bit uncomfortable. But I think it also, I, I, until I find otherwise, I've, I've actually found it very useful to think about the slant of whatever I'm reading before I even pick it up so I can figure out what, you know, where is it likely these people are taking shortcuts? Right. Where is it likely these people are actually scrutinizing a little more than they should? Mm. Right. I think you do that, you get quite a bit more context out of the news that you read. But it it takes being an active consumer mm-hmm. and not just a passive picking up whatever comes into your mailbox. Right. <laughs> and someone willing to add on that extra cognitive load when you're reading instead of just yeah. um, parsing that out to the source that you're reading who yeah. you're trusting. But I, would, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't yeah. stop at news either. I mean, right. I'd apply the same thing to the, you know, faculty teaching you in classes right. and, and uh, <laughs> reading labels and all, you know, when you're in the doctor's office too, sometimes there can be definitely a bias to um, the recommendations and oh yeah yeah there's bias all around us so basically that is a big <laughs> live a life of inquiry yeah, right? exactly yeah, that well should be said, our purpose Joy. live a life of inquiry and on that note you know <laughs> being that it's friday maybe take a, a a few hours to give your your brain a break but then go right back to the inquiry <laughs> yeah. yes jade i was gonna say i actually did something the other day and i went through my facebook timeline. Mm-hmm. And I realized that most of the things I reshare from the New York Times, this was like a few months ago, and I recognized this. Mm. And so I made a point to like all the other news sources, which has been <laughs> pretty fruitful of a, of a way to confront this. But then just, I don't know, I'm switching my homepage, actually, to the Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal, because I thought that would be a little bit more towards the center. Like, these are, these are tangible <laughs> things you could do. Um, and then also liking... Senators from both parties, because if you want to hear, like, usually when something bad happens, every senator will post something and they're all different opinions of it. And so that's a mm-hmm. good thing. One thing that's really good, too, if, I don't know if you noticed this, but now Facebook will actually tell you where the news source of what they're citing and the trends are. Mm-hmm. And they've done a really good job of sharing, like, they'll sometimes use Bloomberg as their main source or they use Fox or they use AP. They're being really scrutinized with how they're going to filter that that's out. Great. But yeah. Very good, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Mad Hat Economics. Our show is produced by Liam Wicks Doe. You can find us on Twitter at Mad Hat Economics, and you can send us an email at madhatecon at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have a good one. <laughs>